As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman for a second episode this week. We wanted to do a Thursday episode for two reasons, for two pieces of news. One, Notre Dame has a new athletics director, so we were bringing on our Notre Dame writer, Pete Sampson, to discuss that. Also, Bruce, literally while we were recording this, the Big Ten announced the 2024 and 2025 opponents for each team, not dates, but who they're going to play. And of course, your eyes immediately turn to USC and UCLA. What is this going to look like? So I'm not going to do both years, but in 2024, this is what their first Big Ten schedules are going to be. USC is playing, is, is hosting, USC is hosting Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, and Wisconsin. USC is traveling to Maryland, Northwestern, I, I Wish them luck in the hostile atmosphere of Ryan Field. Penn State, Purdue, and of course across town to UCLA. And then UCLA is traveling to Indiana, Iowa, Michigan. That's a big one. Rutgers. That's a far one. And they are hosting Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, Ohio State, and USC. I would hope those empty seat pictures you see of the Rose Bowl every week will not be the case I, they won't be the case, frankly, when Nebraska comes to town, when Ohio State comes to town, certainly USC. Yeah, I, I think it's exciting to have some of these, you know, obviously some of these schools have played before, and some of these big, big 10 schools have certainly played at the Rose Bowl at the end of the year. But just to have these matchups in the regular season, I think is very exciting. Um, you know, Ryan Day coming back out here to play against his old mentor, Chip Kelly, I think will be could be fun. There's a lot of t- connections between those two staffs. Um, USC, as you said, going to Happy Valley. I think that's going to be awesome. Um, I think USC hosting Michigan um, at the Coliseum. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I, I think, you know, it's, it's not that far off. I mean, 2024 in one sense, when you hear it, you think of it was like, well, that's years away, but it's not, it's next year. Um I don't know. Uh, some of the other matchups, because you said it when 
We're talking about U, uh, UCLA going to Rutgers. That is the long trip. I mean, if you look at USC's, USC really has Mar- both Maryland and Penn State are not going to be, are certainly not going to be easy trips for them. Um, and one of their road trips, obviously, is across town to UCLA. So that will balance it a little bit. But that's, you know, not an insignificant to go to, to go to Mar- to go twice to the Eastern time zone. Right. So. And, and I think it kind of in a nutshell, it's like, if you think, oh, why, why is this happening? Why, why did Fox in particular help drive USC and UCLA to the Big Ten? And it's easy to go to, I mean, look at this. I can't believe UCLA is going to be playing a game at Rutgers. And they haven't said the date yet, but let's pretend it's November. Or UCLA at Indiana or USC at Maryland. But at the end of the day, like to them, that's a small sacrifice to be able to get USC, Michigan next season, USC at Penn State next season. If those teams are as good as they have been recently, those are 10, 11 million potentially viewer games. Um, I also like that they aren't, you know, they aren't going easy on those LA schools. That's for sure. With UCLA playing both Ohio State and Michigan the first year and USC playing both. Why would they go easy? You said these are big TV rating, you know. Yeah, they're going for the marquee games. I mean, in 25, um, UFC plays Ohio State and Penn State, and UCLA plays Penn State, and I guess the next toughest would be Wisconsin. But by the way, UCLA is also playing LSU um, in one of those seasons. US or yeah, USC I, mean, I believe is playing LSU next year, and then UCLA is playing them the year after. I mean, UCLA will have a road game next year where there's a really good chance it's going to be a homecoming for Dante Moore, their five-star quarterback from Detroit who we suspect will be the the starter, if not this year, probably next year. So he would go home to play in the big house. I think that would definitely get a lot of eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, USC next year is playing, when well, Alan, I think about it, USC next year is playing Penn State. UCLA is always, you know, a decent TV game. Michigan, if Wisconsin gets it going under Luke Fickle, and Notre Dame, that is a lot of eyeballs. You only wish Caleb Williams would... would still be there in 2024 but i doubt he will be so the full schedule if you want to see your your favorite teams uh who they're playing in 24 and 25 uh is all out there on the athletic and elsewhere at this point so let's get to our guest pete sampson all right we're pleased to be joined now by pete sampson who covers all things notre dame for the athletic uh his thursday got off to an unexpected start uh with the news that uh, Jack Swarbrick, their longtime AD, is retiring, and that they already have his replacement lined up, and that's Pete B- Pete Bavacqua, chairman of NBC Sports. As you know, Notre Dame and NBC Sports are very close partners. Uh, on the on the surface, Pete, this would seem to be. Tell me if it's this simple or not. Notre Dame has a TV deal coming up soon. Let's hire the guy who would have been negotiating it on the other side. Yeah, who happens to be a Notre Dame alumnus, um, you know, it's a, who played for Lou Holtz. I, I get it. He was a walk-on punter, so that's not the same as saying like Aaron Taylor or Jerome Bettis who played for Lou Holtz. But, yeah, it's, I, I think Pete Pavacqua is, is sort of an avatar of the relationship between Notre Dame and NBC as it has gone on for 30-plus years. It's it's very much more of a partnership than a broadcast agreement. So, yeah, I would. Uh, I don't think you're – misreading any sort of tea leaves there that this pretty much wraps up 
what was going to happen anyway, that Notre Dame and, and NBC would continue their relationship uh, into the new college football playoff era with the Big Ten coming over to NBC as well. So before we, we get into maybe Jack Swarbrick's legacy there, because as you wrote for The Athletic earlier today, he was there for a long time. And so it's kind of polarizing where we can pick it apart. But in terms of, of Pete taking over, and I, I sent, traded a bunch of texts with my colleague Brady Quinn, who seemed to be a big fan of this move. He thinks very highly of Pete Bavacqua. And I'll be honest, outside of the NBC part, I knew he at one point he was a big deal in the golf world um, before NBC, but I don't know, you know, Brady was pretty effusive, but I don't know much more than what Brady just told me. Um, How is this, how is this landing in with your audience? I think that people are, well, after a decade and a half, people were the fan base, I think was sort of ready for a change, which doesn't mean that's like the right thing to do, but in terms of a hire that's, a little bit outside the box, but not that far outside the box. Like, I think Jack Swarbrick was more of an outside-the-box hire when Notre Dame took him away from the legal world in 2008 than Pete Bavacqua is today. Um, I think people understand the Notre Dame connections, um, you know, and the importance that the NBC contract will have on Notre Dame's independence moving forward. So I I think people can pretty easily get behind this. Um, You know, I chatted with some people at NBC today, um, you know, including Rob Hyland, who was kind of the longtime producer for Notre Dame on NBC, now does NBC Sunday Night Football program. Um, you know, he, he talked to Pete this morning um, and felt, you know, this was, he described it as this, this job is a calling for Pete. Um, this is not some, he wouldn't just take an AD job anywhere else, um, but he said there you, you can't have a conversation with Pete Pavacqua for more than five minutes without Notre Dame football coming up. So I I think it's somebody who will have a an, an added level of passion for Notre Dame football. And I think that that always plays well with a fan base that they sort of the AD will view Notre Dame football in, this, in a similar lens that they do. So I think that I think once Pete Bavacqua sort of gets in front of a camera and people get to know him a lot, a little bit better, I think I think it will play very well. So I'll play devil's advocate because somebody has to. Um, I'm sure Pete Bavacqua is an excellent TV executive and has all the passion about Notre Dame that you described, but obviously he's never worked a day in college administration. So um, if the Mike Bray retirement had happened while he's the AD, right? If something like that is to come up, if Marcus Freeman, I mean, this is not going to happen. Marcus Freeman takes the, whatever you want to say, Green Bay Packers job or something. And now you have to hire a coach, like much different area of expertise. Do you feel, would he, do we think he would maybe just lean on the people beneath him or like, that's just a skill set you can pick up? You know, it's interesting. I I asked some people at NBC about, not about that, but something similar. Because, like, when Bavakwa came to NBC, he wasn't really, like, into TV. He was an executive uh, and sort of into strategy. But the nuts and bolts of TV was not his area of expertise. And he was described to me as somebody who sort of knows what he doesn't know uh, and is comfortable in leaning on experts in their field. So... You would think that would transition, um, but that means you've got to have the right people in place under you. 
um, you've got to fill out your athletic department with people who do know how to hire and fire and write contracts and make sure you don't get on the hook for egregious buyouts. So I, that will, I don't know if Pete Pavaco is going to come in and say like, I know exactly what I want out of a coach, but he's got to have people under him who do uh, and know how to work with search firms and, and do sort of the due diligence part of the job. Cause like, I mean, look, Notre Dame has had, it's been a while, but they've had a history of not doing the due diligence and it blows up in your face pretty spectacularly here. So you've got to have the right people in place to do that. But I think Bavakwa comes across as somebody who's not going to fake it, um, that he'll, he'll make sure the right people are there to, to support him. It's an interesting time for, for Notre Dame, just in that obviously, you know, Brian Kelly was there for a long time, especially do- it's like dog years with Notre Dame football to you yeah. know, years is like 20. Um, so, so Marcus Freeman took over for Brian Kelly, you know, Rocky first year, but they're, they're recruiting well. And it seems like there's some, some reasons for optimism. You have Mike Bray who on the outside looking in seems like a beloved figure. He wins the most likely to I'd want to drink with coach, of, you know, in college basketball um, and ends up, you know, not, you know, not exactly riding off into the sunset. Um, you had a beloved uh, women's basketball coach. When did Muffet step down two years ago? Maybe it was more than that. Uh, yeah. Three years. I think it was Neil Ivy's third season. I could, okay. could be mistaken, but yeah, that was, and it's like, I do think like the transitions here have been not seamless, but they've all felt similar to me. Like Muffet McGraw steps down the LIV is essentially announced as their successor immediately. Um, the Bray to Shrewsbury was different, um, you know, but Brian Kelly to Marcus Freeman took less than a week and then Swarbrick to Bavak was at, in the same press release, but I do, you know, it's like, I think Notre Dame's in a position now and I would never say college athletics is stable, but you've got three younger head coaches who are recent hires who you're, you've committed to for the long haul. You probably have a broadcast deal that's about to get re-up based on today's news. Um, The college football playoff, which you helped design if you're Jack Swarbrick is about to go into effect. Um, You know, that, I'm not saying things are stable, but like this does seem like a time where you could come in as an AD and learn a little bit in your first year or two before you had to make some of these hard decisions. It's like, I'm writing about this for tomorrow. People forget like when Sorbrook was hired in summer of 2008, Notre Dame had just gone three and nine, an abysmal, abysmal three and nine. And then comes back with a seven and six and a six and six and, Storbrook is faced with, do I want to pay an $18 million buyout or not? Which sounds quaint today, but in 2008 was a huge, like unprecedented sum of money. So I don't think that uh, Bavakwa comes in with sort of as tenuous a situation as Storbrook did. Um, You know, and and Storbrook will be around as a sounding board for him for the next six, nine months. and, And I would think beyond that as well. It's such a unique job as the AD there. Um, it's funny because the guy I'd always thought, oh, this guy could be the AD there because he's he's from there and he's so good with people skills was Jim Phillips. But obviously yep. Jim Phillips is the, the, running the ACC. Um, I don't, you know, like I feel like with, with, with Jack Swarbrick, a lot was tied into maybe, I don't want to say dirty laundry, but some stuff that kind of just, 
came out with the Brian Kelly back and forth at the end got seemed like it got pretty contentious. But by and large, I mean, as you said, that football program was reeling when he got there. And that was a really good hire. It seemed like a no-brainer at the time, given what Brian Kelly had done at Cincinnati, right? Um, like, how would you grade his legacy given not just what the the big football hire that he made and, and was able to sustain for a while, but like you said, what he's been able to do with Notre Dame's positioning, both, you know, coming in the pandemic and how they met, ban it, you know balanced that and what it meant in regard to the CFP and how... That felt like, to me, it was a little bit of threading a needle, given how the, the climate of college athletics has gone. It seemed like he did a lot of really good things for them in their best interest. Yeah, I, uh, I'd put A-. minus. I mean, you can't give it a straight A because they haven't won a national championship in football. And like, if, that's, if that's your goal and he came in talking about it, he leaves talking about it, um, you can't go that high, but I mean, even you know the ACC deal in 2014, by to become a partial member when the Big East is falling apart, that I mean, that was another needle that he threaded. Uh, I think the decision to come out and say we're playing football in 2020 in the fall was not one without risk at the time. Um, and I think when Notre Dame came out and said we're playing, that maybe gave the Big Ten and the Pac-12 some room to reconsider whether they should play. Um, so I think that, you know, the campus crossroads project permanently altered what Notre Dame, the university looks like that was Swarbrick's brainchild. Um, so he's done a lot of incredible stuff. I think that as you look at the sport though, it, for a place that judges itself on national championships, it does feel like the top of the sport is pulling away a little bit and reconciling that and figuring out how to get Notre Dame closer to the, you know, the Alabamas and Georgias and Ohio States of the world is a, that's a huge, huge challenge that I think he will exit and would probably admit he, they haven't quite figured that out. As always, the question everybody wants to know about Notre Dame, are they going to join a conference or are they not going to join a conference? And so he will inherit that question that every athletic director before him has. Um, Jack Swarbrick said uh, after the, USC UCLA news after the, you know, this huge TV deal, the big 10 got that of course they want to stay independent, but not if there's going to be some huge gap between what they make and what these, these power two conferences are going to make. So what, what is the mindset and the expectation level now that, you know, whether it's NBC, whether it's somebody else that that package of six or seven Notre Dame home games can get them into the same ballpark. There is a talking to people at NBC. There's an expectation that they will come way up. Um, I don't know what that number is to sort of make Notre Dame feel like, okay, we can afford to be independent. Cause that's, that's what it's about. It's about the ability to pay the independent tax. I mean, and it's been that way for the past decade since the big 10 network came around is how hard can Notre Dame swallow financially and still afford to, to pay the bills. Uh, I think NBC will help Notre Dame get there. It's good business for that network to have the big 10 and Notre Dame linked to have sort of two sets of games on basically a weekly basis. So um, I think independence is, you know, it's been sort of in the fabric of this place for a long time, but 
and it's been and there have been more strident about it in the last decade under Jack Swarbrick, and I, I think that will long continue. It's like after getting the college football playoff set up the way that it was set up, where Notre Dame has guaranteed access to it, I don't know why then you would turn around and walk away from that deal. Um, but NBC has to sort of make Notre Dame afford to be able to pay that, and that's I think the it's really job one for Pete Pavacqua and. He was essentially he would be negotiating with himself at some point, um, and that's I think that that will get done. Pete, I want to pivot quickly to some on the more on the field, at least it relates to the pro the football program right now. Uh, we talked a little bit about Marcus Freeman and how him his takeover has resonated in the recruiting space. You know, I think we did the last time you were on with us, but also it's noticeable. I mean, they're right now they are ranked number three in the country according to two four seven as it relates to commits in the class of twenty twenty four. And obviously some of this has to do with how many commits they have, but it's not insignificant. He has CJ Carr, who is uh Lloyd Carr's grandson, who is a top, he's a fringe um fringe five star. Um, this is a top five ranked quarterback recruit. Cam Williams, who is a five-star receiver. They have a couple of highly touted running backs who recently committed. Um, is this at all surprising to people who follow Notre Dame that even after kind of a rocky first year that they've been able to sustain some momentum? I think they, they had to put some air back in the balloon uh, after the way last season started. So there, it, it definitely – it felt like subdued for most of this year, really until the, maybe the last month or so. Um, I mean, CJ Carr committed almost exactly a year ago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, well, and at that point, you also have the, you know, Tommy Reese is gone, you know, the right. Blood, that the, I think took off the line coaches steps yeah. away. So there were, I think Notre Dame took a few steps back in recruiting while they put the new staff together. And then there were things, you know, they had to get that sorted out. But I I like the hires that Freeman has made from a recruiting point of view. You know, Chancey Stuckey was one of the first hires. I think incredibly dynamic personality. If you've spent time around him, um, you know, Joe Rudolph, offensive line coach, Dylan McCullough, running backs coach. Like, they've done a really nice job of, of keeping some of the staff together and, and enhancing it. So, I, you know, I, Notre Dame's recruiting sort of where it needs to. It's still looking for the next level because, I, I mean, at this point last year, they had the number one class in the country for 2023 and ended up finishing 12th because they lost Keon Keeley, who was a five-star defensive end, could not get Dante Moore a five-star quarterback, and lost Peyton Bowen, who was like a fringe five-star safety who ended up at Oregon and then went to Oklahoma. So, you know, how they hold it together, like if you're a recruit, Nick, in Notre Dame space, Justin Scott is a five-star defensive lineman from Chicago visiting Georgia, Miami, Michigan, Ohio state, Notre Dame. Like that's the kind of player Marcus Freeman has to land. I think for Notre Dame to get over the hump, like he's recruiting well, but recruiting well, isn't going to win in the playoff. You have to be able to get some more of these five-star guys. So it can't just be Cam Williams. It's got to be Justin Scott in the same way last year. It's like with Keon Keeley and Dante Moore, those are, that's sort of the next level for Marcus Freeman to achieve in recruiting. Last thing for me, uh, Pete, on Monday, Bruce and I, both on the podcast and in written article, did our QB tiers for 2023. And obviously it's very subjective. Anytime you do something like that, 
people are going to disagree with you. But in this case, I'm not exaggerating to say 90% of the blowback, some of it quite over the top, was that we had uh, Sam Hartman in tier four with guys like, so there are 11 quarterbacks who are in the tiers above him. And then he's in tier four with guys like Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma, Tanner Mordecai at Wisconsin, Cam Rising at Utah, Jalen Daniels at Kansas, Jordan Travis, Florida State. Um, some of these comments, you would think that we told them that Joe Montana is a tier four QB. So I guess my question is, have Notre Dame fans, were they just secretly watching all like Wake Forest football a lot last year and gained like tremendous respect and adulation for Sam Hartman? Or is it simply because he plays for Notre Dame now? Uh, I think it's on top of there's there's been a fatigue of Notre Dame's quarterbacks over the last few years where there just has not been somebody that Notre Dame put out there that you felt like this guy can go win you a game like Ian Book won 30 games, but I'm not sure anyone came away thinking, like, he was the reason they won 30 games. Sam Hartman, I think, will be the reason they win 10 or 11 games this year. Because um, I, I, I think it, the way you described it was, like, he could have been in Tier 3 if it wasn't for these 26 interceptions, which is not a small thing. Um, but I, I think he will be asked to play in such a different way at Notre Dame than he was ever was at Wake Forest because of he didn't have Blake Fisher or Joe Alt at offensive tackle or Audric Estime at running back. Um, so I think Notre Dame fans are hopeful that Sam Hartman can be more of like a fringe Heisman contender opposed to a tier four quarterback. So I think that's probably they probably have the recency bias of the spring game when he absolutely shredded Notre Dame's defense and look like a guy that you'd be talking about more as like, is he going to New York opposed to could he be an honorable mention all American? Um, I think Notre Dame's hoping more for the, uh, could he go to New York kind of season from Sam Harbin. Pete, I want you to pretend like Stu's internet got cut out and he is not on with us <laughs> on a scale of one to five. How big of an idiot do you really think he would be for not having him in the same group? And I'll give you a couple of the tier three quarterbacks. Devin Leary, who I know you've seen a lot of, J.J. McCarthy from Michigan, K.J. Jefferson, and Jaden Daniels. I think Hartman is definitely in that group. Um, and like Notre Dame looked at Devin Leary, and they passed on Devin Leary because they like Sam Hartman better. So that may just be Tommy Reese's quarterback tiers, opposed to Stu Mandel and Bruce Feldman's, but I think at the end of the year, Sam Hartman, you know, who was in the tier two? I mean, he's not tier one. Two guys are in tier two or two guys. It is Drake May and Michael Penix Jr. I, you know, could Sam Hartman have a better year than Michael Penix? I think so. Um, I've seen Michael Penix is going to throw for like four over 4,000 yards. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They have better receivers and and he's going to throw it all over the place. I want to make two important distinctions here. We did not try to project, right? This is from what we've seen so far. Like there was guys in the comments who were like, don't you think once he's in, he's got like kind of what you referred to. I'm like, yeah, possibly, but you know, can't yeah. break that. I, I, but most I of all, let the record show. Like he's a yeah. tier three quarterback. He, no, I mean, he, he and Jordan Travis were our, our closest could go. Either way. Some of this, Stu and I, I don't know if Stu and I talked about this beforehand, but he's also going to a place where, now his his offensive coordinator is is a largely inexperienced offensive coordinator and play caller. I, mean, I also just want the record to show that Bruce put Devin Leary in tier three. 
You're really taking issue. All right. So uh, <laughs> I would, I, I will, that one's I more debatable to me than the other guys. Yeah, we'll see. It's I, Sam Hartman, third, like low 30s touchdowns, throws for 3,000 yards. Like, is that tier three material? If Notre Dame wins 10, 11 games? Yeah, certainly. Right. Like, if Notre Dame beats Ohio State and Sam Hartman, just throws for two touchdowns and 187 yards. I don't. Notre Dame fans Notre are not going to care Ohio what tier he's in. If Notre Dame, yeah, Notre Dame beats Ohio State, it doesn't matter what tier he's in. Right? He'll be in every yeah. Heisman list. Yeah, I hope he does it. I hope he does well. Um, I really enjoyed watching him at Wake Forest. Unfortunately, I did happen to watch the game where he had seven straight turnovers, and maybe that is clouding my judgment a little bit. But um, not a lot of people. He was playing for Wake Forest. Not a lot of people watch Wake Forest. So now, yeah, that's what I think. A lot of Notre Dame fans watched the the uh, Wake Forest Clemson game last year. We were just like, holy crap! What am I watching here? Um, You know that that I think Notre Dame fans have sort of like latched onto that game, and understandably so, because like Clemson is one of Notre Dame's biggest games, and Sam Hartman absolutely shredded them. So that's that's I think the hope of what he can be if necessary. Okay. All right. Well, you may have already convinced me that he should have been one tier up. Um, we'll, maybe we'll revisit it closer to the season. But, Pete, thanks for coming on on short notice on this big news day. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Pete. All right. I'm glad we were able to get this in. Uh, those are two important topics that we'll be talking about and covering more as we go. We didn't even get to Nick Saban and Greg Sankey visiting uh, – the congressman in DC. Maybe we'll have more about that next week. Once, once we see the full reports as they try to solve the ongoing national crisis, that is NIL deal. So we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.